This is Beta Cell, a show about people living with type 1 diabetes. I'm Craig Stewing. Type 1 diabetes not only changes your life, but your family's too. Sure, the butter compartment of your fridge becomes the insulin compartment, and there's a drawer in every house full of test strips, lancets, pen needles, and more. And every vacation comes with an extra bag full of fruit snacks and backup supplies. But it also changes the personal relationships. How do you worry about a family member while also not limiting how they live their life? Delilah was diagnosed 10 years ago when she was just five years old. And I'm going to let her mother, Anastasia, take over the story from here. At that time, I did not even know what type 1 diabetes was. I don't think I had any understanding that there were two types of diabetes. I had a very vague general awareness of type 2, I guess, the stuff with the oatmeal commercials and all of that. Um, But I never really knew what type 1 was until that fateful day. So she was diagnosed in a bit of a crisis at the age of five. Um, And then after that shock wore off, we entered into TrialNet, which is that program um, which seeks a a blood sample from first degree relatives of people diagnosed with type one. And my husband and my son got a letter in the mail and I got a phone call. And um, within a year, I had a diagnosis of type 1 diabetes at the age of 40-something, shall we say. Can you talk to me a bit about that phone call you got? What was that like? Right. Um, So... That phone call actually came from Delilah's endocrinologist. So we took the trial net test within the Berry Center where we were taking Delilah um, for endocrinologist. And so it was she who called and we, you know, our relationship was fairly new. Um, And I remember she said, you know, you are showing some autoimmune antibodies that we have recently begun to be able to identify and you have two out of the four, and what we're going to say to you is that you have about a 50% chance of developing type 1 diabetes. And remember, this is like close to 10 years ago, and um, we were still using that word juvenile diabetes, and it was a sort of general understanding, at least on my behalf, that type 1 struck children, right? So I thought, well, okay. So I have a 50% chance of developing type 1, but obviously that coin flipped and I ended up on the right side of it. Like I didn't develop type 1, so I'm good. And if there's anything that I can do to help identify further causes or, you know, like for the good of science, I'm all yours. I'll do whatever you ask. But I really did not have any part of me that thought I would actually be diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. At that point, I thought I was a really interesting medical case that they would, you know, use to discover more. They didn't, they didn't say, or, or maybe you just didn't hear it or want to hear it, that it was, you could still get this? I, I mean, I think they were pretty clear that I could still get this, but I just didn't have any part of me that believed this could be a path that my life would take, that we would both get this 
rare autoimmune disease within months of each other. And that, by the way, I've lived a long, healthy life without ever having any symptoms or thoughts of this disease. So from that phone call, when they said you have a 50-50 chance of getting type 1, how long until you started to display symptoms yourself? Right. So, um, you know, it was a very unusual way to be diagnosed. And it's so hard to explain to other people. You know, so many people were like, oh, my gosh, you've been living with type 1 for your whole life and you didn't even know it? You were almost diagnosed before you had it. Yes, I was diagnosed before I had it. That is precisely true. So what happened was they asked me to come in every six weeks, and I would have one of those godforsaken, hideous, you'll probably never have to have one, glucose tolerance tests, which I like vaguely had recalled from pregnancy, where you drink a disgusting sugar liquid. And then I sat there with an IV, um, and they had to do two hours of blood sugar. I, you know, I don't know, every few minutes it was being collected, however that worked. So I would just go into a certain room and, you know, everyone was friendly. And I'm sitting there thinking what a good person I am for, you know, moving science forward and giving this information. But I really wasn't thinking, you know, the fifth or sixth time I have this my blood sugar is going to go over 200, which in its own right is a diagnosis of type 1 diabetes. So with that knowledge, the, the moment my blood sugar went above 200, I was cooked. <laughs> and then how did you react? So denial was a very big part of my reaction. So I hadn't told anybody about this, obviously, except for my husband and my parents and my brother. It's just, you know, Delilah was five and we always wanted her to just be loud and proud and this is how this is. So this is what you got to do if I come to your house for a play date and you have to do this walk with us. And it was, you know, it's a, it became a big part of our family's identity in a strange way. I almost felt embarrassed. It just seemed so improbable. Embarrassed isn't the right word, but it was like, oh, and by the way, everybody, um, I have it too. And in the strangest way, diabetes was her thing, not mine. It was her thing. It's Team Delilah, not Team Delilah and her mom. Did you feel like you were stealing her spotlight? It's just too weird of a thing to say, and it's not like I'm putting it on my child like it was her spotlight, but it was, you know, it remains, actually, you know. It was her thing, and it just was... I still, as I'm telling you the story, I'm like, I can't believe that that happened. What is going on? So it was just too improbable and strange. And again, just like hard to explain, exhausting to explain. And like, oh, I've gone through this medical test and oh, I don't really need, you know, it doesn't really look like her diabetes yet. Because, you know, when I first was diagnosed, um, the first thing I did was say, I, well, I'm not taking insulin, so I'm going to have to figure this out. So obviously that did not last long, but I thought if I just don't eat a single gram of carbohydrate ever again, how long could I, <laughs> you know, how long could I make this last? Well, the answer was not very long, but also I was still making plenty of insulin. I mean, like I have always been um, interested in nutrition and a healthy eater. So I was eating what looked to be a healthy diet and you know, my blood sugar only went above 200 with that 
disgusting sugar solution. So I was making a lot of insulin. So when I finally broke down after um, trying the no-carb diet, um, I was taking like two units of Lantus, the long-acting insulin, once a day, and that was all I needed. So, you know, as the endocrinologist said, oh, yeah, well, this will break down over time, and, you know, within a year or so, you'll probably be at a full replacement dose. You won't be making any more insulin. Um, And gosh darn it, they were right. Now, at this point, had you told Delilah yet? Ah, that's a really good question. No, I didn't. I didn't tell her and I didn't tell my son. And I barely kind of told my parents. Obviously, my husband knew. Um, no, I, it took me a very long, it took me like another year to tell my kids. And yeah, I was like taking shots like I'm doing heroin or something, like hiding needles. <laughs> Um, In a house where it's normal to take shots of insulin. I know. I know. I can't really, in hindsight, I can't fully, I mean, I've, I kind of have said pretty much everything I can put my finger on. I, I personally was in denial. Like I was, you know, saying that I'm not going to take insulin. I'm just going to c- control this type 1 diabetes by my diet. You know, I knew better. I knew better. Because you were doing it with Delilah. Yes, exactly. I have lived it every minute of every day for 10 years. And at that time, um, when it was me, I just, as in all things, as a mother, 99 with many 9% after, you know, of my attention and my thought and my care to diabetes, blood sugar control was for my child. And the 0.0001 was for me like, oh, I'd better take that two units of Lantus before I go to bed. So, yeah, my denial was pretty deep and wide. (laughs) Were you worried at all that by focusing on your type 1, you would spend less time focusing on Delilah? I think that must have been part of it. I think there was an element of, like, stealing the thunder in some way that I just didn't know how she would feel about it. I also, you know, I have another child and I didn't want him to think like we're dropping like flies, you know, you're next. I just didn't want it to feel like this was, um, it felt like, is this a contagious, like what is in our water? How did that happen? You know, remember they were very young. Again, we were very much, you know, she went to Washington and we spoke at the Children's Congress and she met President Obama and then we wrote a little book about it. And like, we have been, like I said, loud and proud and this is Delilah's thing. And I just, honestly, I just felt almost embarrassed. Like, oh, and I I have it too on the side, you know? And then of course, everyone in the world says, oh my God, so she got it from you, which... Mm. Whatever that means, I don't like the sound of it. And I didn't want to hear that either from people who I wanted to love. It's, it's just so weird because, you know, I've, I've met many families where and a parent and a child both have type 1, but usually the parent has it first and they've had it for a while. Of course. That's why. You see what I mean? There's just so many layers of explanation. By the way, if I had a good answer, it wouldn't be so hard to explain. 
you know, mm-hmm. but there is no answer. No one can give me, no one has yet to be able to give me one. So it's just one of the, like, there's enough confusion and misunderstanding as it is about type one. Then to kind of have added, oh, and by the way, I have it too, but I didn't live with it for 40 years. And, you know, it, that it just felt like a little bit too much. But anyway, ultimately, I came out of the closet in a letter. So every year we do um, the one walk, the JDRF walk. We do the one in New York over the Brooklyn Bridge. We've done it since she was five and only a few months into diagnosis. And in, you know, about a month before the event, I send out my annual note, please click on the link. And um, within that, you know, with a little explanation and pictures from the year before. And within that note, maybe, I guess it was about seven, six or seven years ago, I revealed my own diagnosis, um, which was a good way to do it. Because at least I just got the information out there. And if they read it, then I got out as much as I could, um, you know, cutting short some of those questions that are hard to answer or, you know, frustrating to hear. So um, that worked well. I think that was a very good fundraising year for us, by the way. (laughs) Do you remember how you revealed that you'd been diagnosed with type 1 as well? Well, I thought hard about what, how I would write it. I just said, you know, in a strange twist in our family, it's hard to believe, but I also was diagnosed with type 1 over this past year. And, um, you know, I offered a small an explanation of how that happened and just kind of left it at that. Can you tell me the story of when you finally told Delilah that you had type 1 as well? Yeah, so the four of us were sitting at the breakfast table on a Saturday, and um, I just kind of came out with it. I mean, I had, I it was like right on the tip of my tongue for a while at that point. I knew that I had to say it, and um, we were all together, and my son got made a really sad face and got up from his chair and put his arms around me. And Delilah put up her arms in a victory salute and said, yay, mama's my diabetes sister. Woo. So she made it easy on me. (laughs) So she didn't feel like you were stealing her thunder. Not at all. I'd be interested to talk to her about it now, 10 years later, or, you know, that's since she's had it. But if she ever had that feeling, but no, I never got that feeling. She just took it in stride. I mean, you know, if you think back to things that happened to you when you were six or seven or eight years old in life, you know, what the grown-ups say and do, you just sort of take stuff for what it is, you know? She obviously knew that it wasn't something I brought on myself or wanted to have, and she just was so accepting. It actually was a great, it couldn't have been a better reaction. It was not one that I had anticipated on any level, and I thought about this a lot, Um But from then forward, she would say, you know, sometimes, Mama, are you low? You seem grumpy or, you know, (laughs) um, can I get you that or can I help you with this? So it has been, in many ways, it has been bonding for us because I can honestly say I know how hideous it feels to be low. Go ahead and sit there and I won't talk to you until you talk to me first, you know. You can relate in a way that other parents with kids with type one who don't have type one themselves can't really get. 
certainly can. Yes, no question about it. I get it. Was there a point after this where where almost Delilah was the one teaching you things that she knew? Because at this point, she's kind of, she's somewhat of an expert, more, maybe more than you, um, having lived with it. Definitely. Definitely. She would say, Mom, if you're low, you can't have half the juice box. You have to have the whole Elmo juice box. Let me watch you finish it. You know, <laughs> she definitely had some suggestions. And to this day, she still has some. And, um, you know, we, we have an extra eye looking out for each other on a different level than anyone else could ever understand. Do you think she spends time worrying about you? No, I hope not. I don't think so. Not at this stage, again, you know, in her life. I think parents seem to be invincible. Hmm. Yeah. There was one time that I accidentally took, I think I was at 14 units of Lantus at that time. This was a few years ago. And I accidentally took 14 units of uh, Novolog, which in the course of a day at that time, I would, I don't think I had ever taken any more than two units in one day. Um, so that stunk. And, um, you know, she came and sat at the kitchen table with me and sat there with me while I ate half a jar of honey. <laughs> and then, of course, went to 8,000. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, she was there for me. Do you think you both having type 1 has changed your relationship? I, I suppose it has, just because of what I just said. I suppose it has. It's not, she's not alone with type 1. Um, you know, I have tried so hard to be a good example for her in terms of how I care for myself and in terms of how I feed our family. And, um, you know, actually she has been a good example for me in that she never complains about having type 1. And that stance was inspiration for me and it's something that I actively have to think about like it's not natural for me because I do want to complain but I decided I will not complain about this if my child who has been saddled with this from the age of five is not complaining about this so it's I really absolutely took her lead on that and I learned from her on that one and, you know, she will complain that she got a smaller piece of cake or whatever. <laughs> she will complain in life in general. But this seems to be like an incredibly strong conviction inside her that I don't think, I'm not sure it's conscious. I don't think it is. She was so young. Um, but she just has accepted that this is how this goes in this one area. And she's going to get on with it. I also don't spend time worrying and thinking about complications or limitations. I just kind of don't. I think sometimes we make it look too easy because it's my deliberate intention to be positive and just get on with it and, you know, present a happy face. And I have a happy face. Like I have an amazing life and an amazing daughter and we're so blessed and lucky, but this is constant and it is 
life-threatening. And we both look to be the healthiest people in the world, but it doesn't mean that I don't have needles and an emergency shot and an extra pump and insulin and various forms of sugar and, you know, everything in the kitchen sink in my purse near me at all times. And it doesn't mean that a significant percentage of my brain is filled with not just mine, but my daughter's blood sugar concerns at all times. And, um, you know, it's, it can look easy, but it's not easy. You know, when you told her you were type one and you, and she said that you're diabetes sisters now, do you, (laughs) do you still feel that way or do you feel that way? I do. I mean, you know, it's, it's just such a, a deep part of our language in our everyday life. Do we like think about it and define it a lot and discuss our shared experience? Not so much, but I get birthday cards and Mother's Day cards and she has written some beautiful, heartfelt thoughts that don't necessarily overtly come across in day-to-day interaction of like, hurry up and get in the car. Um, but, you know, she definitely has an awareness and an appreciation of of our connection and of our efforts toward each other to keep each other good and healthy. And, yeah, it's it's there. Beta Cells produced, recorded, and edited by me, Craig Steubing, and our theme music is by Purple Glitter. Be sure to subscribe to Beta Cell wherever you listen to podcasts to get new episodes delivered automatically to you. If you have a free moment, go on the iTunes and leave a review. Helps other people find the show and lets them know what you love about it too. And if you love Beta Cell even more, you can support us financially at any amount on our Patreon page. Visit betacellpodcast.com forward slash supporters for more information. We even have some awesome Betacell swag to send you as a thanks. I'm Craig Steubing, and this is Betacell. Betacell.